0: Hello, you're listening to Film Graves. I'm Emmett. I'm Sam. We're from the rock and roll band, Phil Graves. Mm. We're back. Yeah. Talking about cinema. Long time. Too long. We've still been watching films. Yeah. I think we've
1: recorded quite a few podcasts as well, which just in the ether. We made quite a lot of music as
0: well, actually. I'd be yeah. surprised to know.
1: We'll call it like a summer break and maybe we can actually call a
0: season two. Season two, yeah. yeah we deserve a fucking up. holiday. Yeah. We're picking up right where we left off. Looking at another filmmaker that is one of the reasons I hold new movies to this absurdly high standard that I do. Is Patricio Guzman. Uh, Sam, have you seen any of his work before? Um,
1: yeah, so I think the his what makes him famous or what made him famous originally was his documentary, The Battle of Chile, mm-hmm. uh, which came out in like three parts over the 70s, chronicling um, the coup, the hunter in Santiago. The real 9/11.
0: Yeah. Someone's going to say it at some exactly. point on this podcast. <laughs> exactly. Might as well be now. Um. Exactly. Um, yeah.
1: 1973, yeah. September 11th. Um, Salvador Allende's democratically elected socialist government was couped. Yeah. Um, by like, yeah, the military generals led by Augusto Pinochet. His dictatorship lasted for like 17, 16 years or something. Ah. Um, my introduction, despite what I to answer your question yeah I had watched The Battle of Chile before we decided to do this one hadn't seen The Savage for the Light which you yeah you saw that in the cinema that's in the film, 2012 or whatever that's uh,
0: 2010 I think yeah that's the film again a Mark Carmode recommendation much like The Quattro Volte which we talked about yeah. on just the last episode yeah <laughs> last day, week yeah <laughs> and yeah I, I'm a bit of a hater of documentary as like a medium of like argument oof no, I'm going to take he, that no, out, obviously. No,
1: because I sort of feel... No, I think that should stay in because I sort of feel the same way. I, and he has... He's not afraid of a talking head, Patrizio Guzman.
0: Certainly not. And, you know, I guess but, it's what you do with that footage that makes it. But it's kind of half of that and half of, like, that Terrence Malick um, Voyage of Time documentary mm. or something. But the fact that he sort of... all Okay, all his films are about Chilean history. About... Um, yeah. A, Including the ones about Robinson Crusoe and Jules Verne.
1: Well, absolutely. After the production of the Battle of Chile, which was carried out clandestinely, um, clandestinely, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, with support of Chris Mucker, the French avant-garde filmmaker Yeah, the as man well. who made um, le Yeah, he um, basically financed or s- helped get financing for um, like sending roles to Chile um yeah, and was... they had to be smuggled out. Because
0: there was a oh, trade blockade on yeah. Chile because of the Allende government. Yeah. Cheers uh, for that one, CIA. Well, exactly. Um, um, I mean it's not, yeah, it literally is. There's that. a funny bit in one of our old episodes, I think it was the A pitch pong one, where it's like, oh, it's another fucking episode about a CIA-backed military hunter <laughs> like dealing with the memory of it. This is the ultimate one. Yeah. So I mean, after the production of the Battle of Chile, he had to leave.
1: He was interned in a national stadium in Santiago, yeah. um, a, one of Pinochet's m- main concentration camps. Um, he, m- you know, fortunately wasn't executed or tortured to death or subject to forced disappearance like thousands of people during this period. But he did have to get the fuck out, so yeah.
0: Unlike the rest of the crew of Battle of Chile. All well, of it's, one, it's one of them. Um, yeah. Jorge Müller. Paul Imola, yeah. the cinematographer who's interesting who was working on of course the films of Raul Ruiz at the same time yeah for sure another big expat
1: filmmaker yeah. who 1975 I think when Guzman was like sort of editing yeah. the battle of Chile together in Cuba yeah. I think it was Ruiz was making dialogues of exiles about well exactly you know it's what it says on the tin really all, a, of his, consult- all of his, his
0: films are in, informed by the coup and mm-hmm. the regime as well in a completely mm-hmm. different way obviously I mean you know we sort of joke about Raul Ruiz on the podcast but I do rate him higher than most other film artists (laughs) this is the guy who got to write he wrote 100 screenplays for like Allende's one of the you Mm -hmm. know in in the two years that Allende was in charge and they were doing shit like giving the copper back to Chile after after it all been sold off to foreign interests and like declaring land back to like first nations people in chile yeah sure i mean this is didn't last yeah the story of um
1: chile since the allende government is of the successful implementation of neoliberalism yeah um and all as uh allende's attempts at sort of land reform Mm. um sort of civil rights were you know completely frustrated and turned back on yeah i mean even to this day there are issues going on and i guess we'll talk i mean his most recent maybe we can talk about his most recent film now sure.
0: or do you want to do more background yeah stuff? we saw my imaginary country at the london film festival yeah um which was completed last year i guess mm. the Cordillera of dreams which is out in cinemas now and we've both seen recently was completed in 2019
1: yeah and yeah a uk 2022 release yeah. which is pff- Mad. And it's mad how different they are then. So, okay, actually, I think a li- let's do a tiny bit more background before yeah, we talk sure. about My Imaginary Country. So, yeah. Basically, ever since the coup, every one of his films has been to do with the legacy,
0: memory, trauma of this period of Chilean history. How could you make a film about and anything else before your mates got disappeared? Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's so dread. Um, so, it's like the 90s, he made this film, Chile, Obstinate Memory, which Oof. is an hour long film, which is a I don't know, it sort of signals a turn in his filmmaking. There's an article I read in, um, it's a recent study of like contemporary Chilean cinema. And there's one which talks about, um, I mean, he's the starting point, basically, for what they call the affective or subjective turn. The affective turn. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, affective or subjective turn. um, Still political films, but way more to do with subjective experience, the vagaries of memory in the past, the way these things are contested yeah. or contestable, the same way history is, like, written by the victors and now it can be contested more.
0: Well, sure. I, I think that sort of autobiographical sort of, yeah, subjective element of his films is what one of the things that makes it really some of the highest, like, level of filmmaking stuff I've ever seen for me because it's, like... it. It manages to do so many things at once. Like, we watched that Terence Davis film about Liverpool quite recently, right? Of Time in the City. Yes, which has a similar sort of three-line description or whatever, if you take out the sort of National Geographic stuff. But, I mean, I think you have to view his work after the affective term as, like, one long film not only because he links them all so seamlessly in like jaw-dropping ways in every single film you talk about like the pavement from the Cordillera of Dreams being ripped out of the ground and used as a weapon at the start of My Imaginary Country or something like that yeah uh, I mean
1: so the Cordillera of Dreams the one that just came out on general release is I guess formally conceived as the final installation of a trilogy the thing first part of which was <laughs> Um, nostalgia
0: for the light that's a bingo card um, thing if i ever heard one what was it? i don't know quite what the trilogy is they say it's a trilogy <laughs> <laughs> no but i mean he does
1: but it does the lines as you just said with this like sort of continuation or evolution of the metaphor i mean each of these films uses a sort of geological or um astronomical metaphor for um exploring national history and like how he feels about it and yeah. the people that he, he's interviewing sensational films like
0: phew. all of them are so effect effective <laughs> yeah. at marking out the coup as some sort of cosmic violation of like oh, yeah. millions of years of
1: yeah. yeah so it's like both a historical analysis and a sort of supra historical analysis that like i mean he's a poet essentially sure so as well as being an archivist and a chronicler, um, a sociologist, anthropologist, all, you know, for, in my imaginary country, feminist, um, sure. a commentator. A uh, nativist. Na- yeah, exactly, but fundamentally is a, a poet as well. Like, sure. And it's through that prism that all of these interests collide. I mean, but he is vocationally a filmmaker that only makes films about the coup
0: <laughs> I think we were watching Battle of Chile on YouTube when your folks came around.
1: Oh, yeah, that's and it was right. like <laughs> Yeah, that's
0: What's Was Sam's life like now he's living over here with me and it's like, oh, he's just banging this out like Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Fair enough.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, I took him to church with that one.
0: I'd, I haven't seen the whole thing. I oh, know you finished it this morning because mm-hmm. it is six hours long or something like that. But I was really struck by how, how much it uses sort of zooms and stuff like that and the, the techniques of, sort of narrative cinema sure but brought to sort of documentary reportage I guess like you're encouraged to think about Ponte Corvo, like the Battle of Algiers which is a staged film and I'm sure audiences were considering this film wasn't shown in Chile for 30 years something we'll talk about in a bit and it was presumably screening at like Locarno and Rotterdam and festivals like this I'm sure to European audiences who you know I'm sure to European audiences like it would be an unbelievable thing to behold in 1973.
1: Oh, I don't even know where to start with this one. I want to talk about this interview that you put me onto, actually. It's from 1977. Yeah, it's like a long interview though, where he like, really talks about what they were trying to achieve and the actual experience of making it. And how, yeah, working with the cinematographer, he would like sort of direct them.
0: Their weed-smoking, like, the- jazz-listening... <laughs> Cinematographer.
1: Yeah, the
0: one that got disappeared. Yeah. All the pictures of him, he's in like a leather jacket and he looks like...
1: And they're like, he was a true
0: bourgeoisie. Yeah, it's like he wasn't really about the struggle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I mean, he was there
1: as part of this like extremely small crew with yeah. like Patricio Guzman like standing underneath him while he's like standing on top of a box or whatever. And being it's fair like, to... oh, now like pan round so you can, like, see the troops coming. in Yeah, and it's whatever. fair to
0: assume that they were in mortal danger the whole time they were making this film.
1: Well, sure. And, I mean, something that's really interesting about it is that they seem to have sort of finagled their way into all manner of scenarios. Their um, party to sort of workers' councils in mm. factories that have been taken over. All, like, obviously, they're there on the streets, like, while things are happening. But also, like, sort of governmental meetings and it's, it's a staggering feat of testimony, I think. And yeah, like a huge editorial project as well, which is borne out by the fact that it took, well, it came out in three parts over four years. What I also wanted to say is that in that article, sorry, this is so blah, 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 I must say this. But in this article, they talk about, um, like their one um sort of framework was supplied by this Cuban filmmaker called um, Espinoza. Mm-hmm. It's his surname. Um, but he also wrote an article called For an Imperfect Cinema, and he sort of talks about how Western audiences like sort of fetishize um, this like sort of direct cinema that was coming out of Latin America. Like and stuff. Yeah, like that, exactly. Yeah. Um, but also talking about like the possibilities of cinema as well. He made an interesting documentary called Third World, Third World War, which was again like a big inspiration. But phew, I would really advise everyone to watch this film because it's just astonishing and like the energy that it can conveys as well is just dazzling
0: <laughs> i think one of the most like sort of breathtaking films we've watched together shout out paul kaya for this one was um videograms of a revolution um by haroon Firoki, Yeah, which is about the collapse of Ceausescu's dictatorship the battle of Chile part one which i have seen is all shot by like one camera as opposed to like collecting everyone's footage and it focuses primarily on, like, the middle class and just seeing the fucking crazy worm-brained shit that they're convinced to say in the name of progress. I mean, it's some real sort of Hannah Arendt stuff, I guess, yeah. where, um,
1: yeah, that first part is just, like, a lot of people on the streets, like, chatting,
0: <laughs> shit. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's... It's a document for all to see. Like, it is... Yeah. Can't argue with it, basically. Yeah, I think.
1: it's it's the jumping off point for thinking about his work, I yeah. think, and like sort of framing it within South American filmmaking in that period yeah. as being like overtly political with like, you know, a Marxist philosophy, yeah. but it's not really what his, you know, if we're going to be talking about his no, body of work, it's, you know, the but, scene of Quanon or whatever, but, you know, it's not really the main attraction, really.
0: But I think it's... Irregardless of that it is a justification of celluloid or whatever, like Henry Kissinger would tell you that the Pinochet coup was the first successful regime change campaign or whatever. After a democratic it was one of the first democratically elected socialist governments and the CIA did what they're set out to do. Mm. However, People say all the time, like, oh, you'd never actually have evidence of what was going on, like, or whatever. So many documentaries made about, you think about, okay, so I think, like, a lot of these films, especially the one I watched this morning, A Galaxy of Problems. That's like a half an hour one that comes on the disc for Nostalgia for the Light. I think Claude Lansman must have been a big influence. And I don't want to, you know, go into any crazy territory here, obviously, you know. He's interviewing the participants in this. Oh, yeah. Who are now, like, parliamentarians. Mm. Probably some of the same people that he's interviewing in Battle of Chile part one. I mean, this is something that he's dealing with from the
1: 90s onwards. But I mean, as with all of these historical atrocities, like you will see stories like, oh, 10 guards have now been sentenced to 15 years each or whatever. For war crimes, whatever. For the murder of one figure. Right. Right. Um when and this is something that I think you were talking about in well, that you were alluding to in relation to the first part of the Battle of Chile as well, and the idea of just sort of complicity as well. So it's so easy to like be like, Oh yeah, this guy worked in this tortuous detention centre or whatever at a time that this person died, fine, and we got like a confession eventually. But part of the trauma is the fact that it was just such a wide scale culture of silence and acceptance and on terms of like a largely right-wing society
0: yeah he's not one to invoke the sort of stereotype of nazis in south america very often barely in his films i would say because there's other troubling shit that he's got to reckon with and It's all part of the same global problem although there is that bit at the start the very first line in a uh, nostalgia for the light is the old german telescope is still working and in, in the observatory or whatever but Very uh, <laughs> Bolano yeah, Nazi literature of the Americans or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the fact that yeah, you've got he's interviewing people and they're like, "There was a lot of pain on both sides in 1973." it's jaw dropping. Like, let's talk about obstinate memory. Yeah, which is just so wild. So, I guess this is like
1: a TV film mm-hmm. from 1996, seven, something like that, mid nineties. Um, after Pinochet had been, um, it was the late 80s, there was a plebiscite on whether his dictatorship would continue or not. Um, the nose, like, won like, marginally, basically. There's a good film about that. Um, certainly is. Pablo Lorraine's no. Probably my, personally, my first introduction to both Chilean cinema and history. Or it's, like, historical problems. Yeah, sure. Um, and, yeah, that came out around the same time as Nostalgia for the Life, mm. a couple of years after or whatever. Mm. That's yeah. a brilliant movie, that, no. Yeah, Pablo Lorraine, probably the preeminent Chilean filmmaker in, like, the art house scene today.
0: Sure, he made, like, Jackie and Spencer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, both <laughs> yeah. of which are about stuff white people were doing either while, you know... You know. I mean, it's sort of Joanna Hogg mode. Definitely. I think, like, Spencer at the end, like, you know, this was going on while Pinochet was get, getting arrested in London. In London, yeah. And there's, you know, that, the absence of that from his films, even though he made fucking post-mortem, no, Neruda. Nor- yeah. I only thought about that this morning and I'm a bit, bit proud of it, you know. That's <laughs> um, but it is it's such a thing, I think. And, like, same with, like, Jackie, like, you know, the, the, the FBI are, you know, troublesome, but... There's like disquiet and problems with like the American government yeah. or whatever, but it's turned inward in that film. Yeah, you know? yeah, sure.
1: And those films are like masterclasses in like psychology, even though actually I mean I I think the like psychological heights of Spencer were the bits that I found most like dead. Sure. <laughs> even though I could appreciate that
0: that's what I was trying to you do. You watch the, the new season of the Crown though, and then revisit Spencer and <laughs> um And I'll I revisit I'll revisit Emma, which I hated. Yeah. Uh yeah. I mean, that was a sort of state-of-the-nation one. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't as good uh, as my yeah. imaginary country, though, I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> um, anyway, enough about these uh, fiction films.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, Chill out Memory. You can watch... Uh, that is actually on YouTube as well with, like, hard-coded subtitles.
0: And thanks uh, to the Canadian Film Board, it's available to view all around the world with some teaching resources.
1: Uh, yes, that is correct.
0: The one film I didn't get to watch for this podcast... And I'm really sad about it. It did screen at the BFI in 2012 as part of the retrospective they did about, um, or 2015, sorry, as part of the Guzman retrospective is uh, the Pinochet case, which is all filmed in London. And the star of that film is Jeremy Corbyn.
1: Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Must watch that one.
1: A lot of his work isn't available, readily available online. So um, the stuff he made before Battle of Chile. It's almost like there's some um, sort of suppression
0: going on. Right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean his first Sorry, we didn't even really lay out his like biography um he studied filmmaking in spain and then like came back as i was coming into power and like that's when he started like making films and they were all like straight from the off like first year for example even about
0: the you know the first year of, the first year like that that <laughs> documentary about the last year of obama's <laughs> government or whatever that was screened at the bfi for two weeks Let's talk about Obstinate Memory then, a really important turning point in his career. If you like um, Through the Olive Trees by Abbas Kiarostami, which came out around the same time, you will love this movie. Or um, A Moment
1: of Innocence yeah, yeah, by yeah, yeah. Mohsen Makhmalbaf. And so that one, um, yeah, chilly Obstinate Memory starts with one of the defenders of the sort of presidential palace which fell, obviously, and, like, most of the defenders were, like, summarily killed or interned. This guy survived, and they sneak him in under the guise of, like, being part of the film crew. Um, So they're just, like, whispering to each other, um, like, oh, like, this happened. He's like, like, damn, last
0: time I was here, the man standing next to me got shot in the face. (laughs) Yeah, it's actually fucking mad. But that is funny, because it's kind of like a... Nick Broomfield or Michael Moore sort of stunt or whatever. And it definitely uses a lot of those like Nick Broomfield like bad camera angles and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, it's a lot of like waist shooting from yeah, the hips. Shooting down sort of the floor like, for a few seconds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean as its title alludes to it is about how coming out of the Pinochet years there's still a sort of culture of silence mm. a lack of reconciliation mm. a lack of recognition of war crimes, a lack of justice um, lack of closure for the families of victims, and sort of social closure, mm. institutional recognition of problems, uh, addressing issues with the constitution, inherent political issues, addressing inequalities in
0: housing and mm. fucking resources, you know. Yeah, because the neoliberal project in Chile was just as much of a success as the sort of fascist one, like... Well, but there's salt. The same there's thing. a lot of
1: stuff. Uh, well, yeah, of course, yeah. But, but, but this is the the case study for the successful implementation of. Uh, well, like Pinochet imported the Chicago Boys, the Chicago formula. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. literally, guys that were taught um, economics in like the most like horrible, like you know Fordian, way. Fordian way. Well, yeah, and just like prioritizing um, privatization yeah. and. Um, All the social ills that that inevitably leads to. When I was a
0: little boy, I used to love looking at the atlas, right? (laughs) And I used to look at Chile and be like, that place looks looks incredible. I'd love to go there or whatever. Half of Chile, you can't even walk around because like all the lakes are privatized and half the roads are privatized and they're like guarded by like military police, you know? So that's like, and it is the most astonishing landscape. I think that's such a huge thing about all his films. It's sort of acknowledged in obstinate memory with, like, some establishing shots and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess, like, that was before drone photography became a thing. I'm going to go on record right now and say this this guy is the best guy to ever use drone (laughs) photography ever. Yeah. Um, By a million miles. Yeah. Top Gun second or whatever.
1: The article that I mentioned earlier, which yet again, like sort of frames this as like the starting point for like all subsequent documentary filmmaking in Chile, which like changes over time. They, they stress like the role of like collectives and like sort of group Mm. filmmaking and, you know, art, you know, more like abstract stuff, whatever. Um, But alongside Guzman, they also talk about this film from 1994 So, actually, before Obstinate Memory, by a woman filmmaker, this is just a quick sting to say that the filmmaker I'm talking about is called Carmen Castillo. It's Actually, her first film, because she was a revolutionary, she was a member of MIR, the, like, Revolutionary Left Party, which was, like, you know, one of the main, like, organised communist-resistant groups in the early years of the Pinochet regime. This documentary she made, um, which is around the same length as well, and, like... It's insane. It's called Skinny Alejandra. And it's about this woman she knew, this girl she knew, because they're all like students and like young, um, who sort of turned informer and was like subsequently in prison for a long time. They're like going around, it's sort of psychogeographical, crazy, confessional, confrontational stuff, where, um, and she like sort of pits her against other people that are involved, you know, that were there in various ways. Um, to, like, sort of have these dialogues. They sort of break into buildings. They climb through the window of, like, one of the detention centres. It's just an insane, insane film. Um, And it has this, like... When we did the Petsold episode and we watched all those TV films from the 90s and they all have, like, very, like, spooky scores, like... Mm. (laughs) um, It's sort of like that as well. Um, Again, I think this is essential viewing.
0: It'll be in the show notes.
1: Yeah, fully. But, I, yeah,
0: we don't need to linger on it. Skinny Aleander. It's, skinny yeah, it's but... worth saying, because we haven't mentioned it, and we both work in cinemas, um, Obstinate Memory is about the first screenings of the Battle of Chile oh, in Chile. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because it was a period of censorship <laughs> and,
0: the, and self-censorship. And yeah, self-censorship, exactly. And the bad audience feedback and stuff like that. You know, Obviously, people don't want to watch it for yeah. va- for various reasons, including because they don't want to see their old friends. You know, there's, there's bits where, like... You know, that artist or whatever who's painting, like, the, the photos taken on the steps of the palace mm. or, uh, mm. on the last day or whatever. And, like, I don't even know who whose hand that is. And some people, they can identify by, like, their shadow or, like, their gait and stuff like that, you know. Mm. It is, again, like, so contiguous with, like, what else is going on in, like, art house, festival, cinema at the time. But communicates so much pain and is, like literally something everyone should see it's devastating when. to watch yeah it's not for art house audiences yeah. or whatever it is like for for people yeah yeah, like, yeah fully and that's a big thing because yeah. like it, it made me think about how like you don't learn anything about Ireland when you're in school or whatever absolutely
1: yeah a single a word about it yeah I mean some I guess because I studied history at a university yeah. I know you know more or I've been forced to think more about british colonialism yeah. but like
0: they don't teach you that you know, we fucking yeah box. i
1: mean i think it's more part of the like school curriculum now to right, be okay, fair, yeah, fair enough, but i'm yeah. um, certainly when we were like doing like gcse's and like go
0: growing up like we were never um all i learned about was, was why a, d- d- why the nazis hated the treaty of Versailles. Or this is literally it maybe a bit of tutankhamun
1: or whatever <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah i mean i'd I think this is a universal issues, um, and but it's in you know, it's such a profound case study. And the, the final scenes of obstinate memory, which are students watching the film and just like discussing it. Some of them are crying, some of them being slightly more defensive about yeah. it. But like this was a real as well as it being a threshold in Guzman's filmmaking where, you know, he's really turning to the subject of memory, um, rather than like praxis and unfolding. Yeah here yeah it's a sort of liminal point in chilean history where people would be able to see this material for the first time and slowly be able to spend a lifetime processing it (laughs) yeah
0: exactly
1: maybe at this point we can talk about the trilogy supposed trilogy starting with nostalgia for the light maybe you can
0: talk about your nostalgia for this for this film well it was great to re-watch recently when i saw it on the shelf of an oxfam i was like oh fuck that movie was crazy like i think i said this on the pod already but it was like dazzling and yeah like that was how i learned a lot about the bichet regime yeah yeah of course (laughs) which is just such a mad way because like 20 minutes in you're looking at these you're you're with these women who are like looking for the bones of their husbands and sons and stuff like that and okay it's about the atacama desert his production company is called atacama productions he introduces it by saying that this is the driest place in the world it's the one brown spot on the earth when you look at the earth from the hubble telescope or whatever the international space station Because it's so dry and they have these fucking enormous telescopes where most of the major sort of astrological discoveries the last hundred years have been made. And it is so significant that even during the Pinochet regime, they couldn't stop the research. On September the 11th, 1973, this supernova was discovered. And it's all about astronomy in the context of reckoning with the Pinochet regime. Exactly so, yeah. And it weaves them together... So seamlessly, it just makes you think every other filmmaker is full of shit, if you ask me. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, but again, I
1: mean, it's like he latches onto a metaphor yeah. here, the unfolding of space-time, um, the fact that we never live in the... there's no such thing as the present, these yeah. sorts of um,
0: concepts. Yeah, and they're looking um, back into the universe to find the time before this astrological disturbance that was the fascist insurrection. But
1: I mean, sort of glib, I suppose. But it is also, like, it's singular, I guess, because not many people commit to that sort of metaphorical framework, um, which is sort of like an exercise almost, like an academic exercise, and an exercise in poetics. Um, But, yeah, the combination of, like, two themes to, like, show this synthesis and convey his argument just staggering every time i mean the way he does this in the pearl button is that's the best one yeah i
0: think the pearl button is instead of about the skies in the desert is about water my first note while watching the film was wow water really is that guy um and it's you know it is purporting the arguments that of homeopathic medicine something which i never really considered all that much took all that seriously but it's about the memory of water and about Again, there's a bit where he's looking into the how water comes from space as well, Yeah, I mean, exactly. I said
1: earlier, how these films these metaphors build are building blocks as well there's there's um, sci
0: fi elements to this film because that was what the kind of films he wanted to make when he was a boy, but he couldn't anymore because of you know what um and there's a sequence I guess this came out around the same time as the Voyager Time, the Terence Malick film. sorry if I mentioned that before, but there are like. Sci-fi CGI sequences about distant planets, which are about imagine if there was a a planet that had water like all the ones that have been discovered by these Chilean telescopes, in a distant galaxy where the colonialism didn't exist and they didn't exterminate the indigenous people. Sure. sure.
1: Like, I mean, the, so the Pearl Button is yeah primarily about how the indigenous people of Chile, you know, exist on these waterways, the sea. I said earlier, like how um, the coast of Chile runs along, like, the whole of South America basically on its um, west side. And yeah, he's talking about the experience of these tribes or sort of water nomads um, and how their whole way of life was based around traveling canoes um, and, yeah, hunting. And like their whole world was built around this existence on the sea and how um, colonialists came from the sea. And yeah to link it to the Pinochet regime, how victims were dumped at sea and how the sea was used as a and how um yeah in nostalgia for the light you said there are these old, like old women in the desert looking for the remains of their families that have been you know battered by the elements like the salt and the yeah. um the wind has and- just... And these and the women are getting and-
0: rained on by space dust. Yeah,
1: yeah. he has this, like, glittery um, thing that he, like, puts on top of it. I think there's sort of a naivety to the form as well. Totally. It's so totally. Um, transcendental as well. That's one of the
0: best things about it. Like, it's so
1: wide-eyed. Yeah, so in the Pearl Button, like, in the same way, the bodies in the desert have been, like, eroded. And, like, the memory is being washed away. Even if people are trying to recover it, like, here... It's about the restitution of these bodies that have been dumped at sea and like um, sort of this marine archaeologist and these efforts of restitution and closure. They
0: literally, to like do a sort of Mythbusters style investigation about what actually happened (laughs) to all the people, they literally strap someone, they give like a, a dummy, a crash test dummy like a lethal injection and strap it to a piece of rail, guess where that was quarried from? and fucking hell and then they dump it in the ocean because the ocean was a burial ground for all the disappeared people presumably they don't even know but that is you know an element although there was one rail that was found because someone <laughs> escaped or wasn't tied up properly or whatever um and that rail had a pearl button yeah on it yeah placed by a barnacle beautiful but okay the sorry to bring in so many other films but have you seen any of joshua oppenheimer's films like the act of killing yeah, so he does these sort of reconstructions about sort of like fascist war crimes, right? And I think it's so tasteless, you know? And so cinematic in like all the wrong ways. I really hate his movies. But this is like, this guy's not even making films in Chile; Like he's making it for like French TV. It's all like Arte and stuff yeah, like that. Exactly. It's such a trip to go on. That Pearl Button I'm talking about specifically, it's such a trip to go on because it's if you think about individual bits, you're like, how the hell does this all come together? Like it's so wild also i mean i don't think we even said that he narrates
1: these films sure. as well sure you know um it's very much so his voice that's guiding us through and like making them coherent like nice bringing the metaphor together always yeah. um yeah i mean i would agree that the pearl button is a real standout and again like yeah the idea of this like sort of naivety as well like does like come into it the sci-fi element yeah the scene you described earlier of like maybe there's a planet Avatar. where like, yeah it's Avatar exactly exactly
0: it's literally my in man film describes Avatar, Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what
1: year did this come out like, <laughs> 2015 yeah okay yeah. so post Avatar <laughs> yeah. yeah so yeah the real landmarks in Chilean cinema really were
0: Chile Obstinate Memory and Avatar well yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, okay, so Jemmy Button is this, like, sort of old tale. I guess it is. There's a literary sort of, it's a thing that happened, right? Oh, sure. This is based on, like, Captain's Logs and, like, it was
1: the 19th century. It's not some sort of apocrypha. This is a true story that is documented widely, but.
0: He was a native man who was brought back to England for, you know, left behind all his sort of, like, all his life learning about the land and, like, being Chilean or being from this part of the world, not. Not Chilean. Yeah, being from Patagonia. yeah, A um, colonial construct in and of itself, but <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> Came back to England and when he revisited his people, like
1: he couldn't recognise himself. Yeah, it's even more dread than that. Yeah. Like, he was brought back to London by Captain Fitzroy mid-19th century as like a sort of, not as a curiosity in the way that like, you would have like human zoos and stuff like that, like real awful shit. He was... He was like know, a dandy. It's like He was like, suited up. Yeah, exactly. And again, it relates to the sort of civilizing mission. And this... Like, like um, this Fitzroy after this traveled with Charles Darwin, for example, right? Right. This is the, the vibe. And um, yeah, I mean, he killed himself eventually. Um, he returned Jemmy Button to the land of fire or whatever it's called. Like, um, after a year and yeah, just like dropped him back in. That's the end of his story. Like a guy that was like toured around high society in Britain. It's just really fucked up. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he, again, this is another way that the metaphor comes together. Is that like, yeah, he was bought for a pearl button. Um, so then when Guzman finds this, like, button caked onto a iron beam at the bottom of the sea, he's like...
0: Water really is that water guy. really
1: is that guy. Yeah.
0: The Quest car people, he says, right, there's about 20 extant people who still hold the language, right? Yeah. There's a okay. absolutely cr- two absolutely crazy sequences that are sort of not to do with... Anything visual whatsoever, recording the language like word by word. And again, similar to the Battle of Chile, you're like, fuck, this is what video is for, mm. or whatever. Yeah. Well, and this then- is real, like, society
1: is a construct material as well. He's just direct to camera, direct address, asking this interviewee, again, one of the sort mm. of very, very vanishingly few remaining speakers of this language, like, What's your word for the sea? What's your word for boat? What's your word for good person? What's your word for police? Oh, they don't have one. What's your (laughs) word for God? Don't Uh, have one.
0: Great. (laughs) Um, Jaw-dropping stuff, man. Yeah. One of the best scenes I've ever seen. Followed immediately by this guy who has a way with his voice... To communicate the sound of water and the sort of million different sounds held within water yeah
1: he's doing like
0: um throat singing like two-tone like i make mad stuff i make one wish right <laughs> one prayer if you're listening seth myers fred armison don't you dare touch the work of patricio <laughs> guzman when you're making documentary now because i love your work and i think it's great yeah. But if you go anywhere near the Pearl Button, you're all going to hell.
1: So yeah, if Nostalgia for the Light is about the sky and the desert, and the Pearl Button is about the sea, um, the Cordillera of Dreams is about the Andes mountain range. and This is his jumping off point for... This is his lift off point, man. For <laughs> You guessed it, uh, interrogation of memory and contemporary Chile.
0: Yeah, this film was awesome. Great to see in the cinema, uh, I think for two reasons, because it really ennobles the act of filmmaking is, is a certain word that I don't like using your phone mm. to record what's going on around you and like interviews this guy. Oh, his name's Pablo Salas. Pablo Salas, who is uh, the second cameraman on Imaginary Country as well. Yes. Yeah. Very nice I got to that see. credit. Yeah.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. Um, about what? about the role of filmmaking he's obviously thinking about what he'd done with the Battle of Chile he's it, you're, you're encouraged to think about that if you've seen it about what it means to record anti austerity protests or whatever mm. oh, this guy he's interviewing has
1: been um, filming protests in Chile um, again like on a vocational level and he has this like private archive I yeah like he's a, like he's a
0: Grateful Dead taper or yeah something I like actually that.
1: read the story the other day um, when I was researching into him that um, some like students have got a like pretty fat grant from a Chilean university to um, work well. with his audiovisual archive. Mm. Which is great news because I mean, as it's represented in the Cordillera of Dreams, he's, you know, in an office full of sagging shelves of um slowly degrading videotapes.
0: Amazing stuff. But also I think the drawings, like we got to talk about the drones. Like, this is this looks like a fucking H video or something like that. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much drone photography in the Cordillera of Dreams. Yeah, I mean, it is about a mountain range, so well,
1: yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's you fine. can it's fine. You can view it, but like, but it, it is a very clear aesthetic
0: choice as well. I think, yeah, um, and it's unbelievably resonant. As you would expect, yeah. I think. It looks incredible. And also, yeah, the same with My Imaginary Country, which uses drones to look at Santiago. One sort of public area in Santiago. Yeah, that's staggering
1: um, footage of the biggest like public protest in Chilean history um in 2019 let's talk a I'm little just, bit more about cordial like, yeah i'm just gonna i'm just gonna shout
0: out the other sort of filmmaker from the 60s and 70s who's like the same age as bob dylan now who's the other best user of drones is jersey skolimovsky because i saw eo the other oh, day fuck. and <laughs> just you wait film yeah, grey's uh, listeners I'm, i can't wait to i'm watch never it. gonna shut up about that movie yeah, as long I, as I live.
1: i really can't wait to watch it Fuck, yeah. I really fucked up not watching it. I don't think I was You were
0: working, man. Yeah. Oh, that was it. Cordier Dreams. I mean... Pff. It's not a boring part 3. It's not Terminator 3. Although Pearl Button is definitely, like, the one of those great, like, Empire Strikes Back, yeah. uh, Terminator 2, Hot Fuzz, second part of the trilogy being, like, definitely the best one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really is just a continuation
1: of the project. Yeah. but Not a conclusion. A, a consolidation of the form as well. Like at no point when you're watching it are you like why is he talking about the mountain
0: when like you know especially if you've seen Memoria (laughs) sure, which is all about how you know if the stone could if the stone could talk someone says in this film like if these stones could talk they talk about the blood that ran over them that is literally depicted or not depicted but sort of synthesized in the film Memoria
1: well let's jump on to my imaginary country now I reckon sure then, if you want it's coming out um and you as you said um earlier it starts with a continuation of just like geological motif where um there are like close-ups of rocks on the street or you can't even t- you don't even know at this point what it is like it could be on like some sort of volcanic plain and then like- but you know
0: that the cordillera was quarried in the 70s for like big building projects. yeah then in my imaginary country in these anti austerity protests, in these like pro bumping the tube protests. Yeah, you love that bit. Didn't of course, you? man. Of yeah, yeah, course. Yeah. That's they that's... said anyone if you pay you're a cop. <laughs> I completely agree. I rate
1: agree. it to be fair. I completely yeah, agree. I do rate it. I feel like our discussion of the trilogy was like a bit diffuse, but they've all sort of blurred into one like
0: magical triptych poem sort of thing. I think they need to be watched as well. Yeah. Um Write us a letter anytime you want to talk about this shit. There's a lot to talk about. Oh yeah, there's a, there is literally a lot more.
1: That's the thing. I could talk about each one of those films for like half an hour.
0: So anyway, let's, oh, talk, let's talk. Big man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um. No, me too. Half obviously. Half right? I, um, I have. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. It's man. all off. <laughs> the mic. Lord
1: knows I have already. That's why I say it. Just
0: watch them. It's, um, it's astonishing. Yeah.
1: But to wrap this up, then.
0: Yeah. You thought um, it was over yeah you said at the end he thought uh, it was over at the end of cordillero dreams he says i hope my country rediscovers something it's maybe it's innocence maybe it's joy maybe something else Mm. we're not going to talk that much about the london film festival on this podcast didn't get to much i saw unrest which i will be talking about all the time much like Ego. sorry but just so you know but we did go see my imaginary country Mm -hmm. at the ica
1: our favorite cinema
0: it's good these days I'm
1: really gutted, I couldn't see unrest, but again, we'll talk about that enough time.
0: My imaginary country,
1: as you said, basically picks up where the Dreams ends. Yeah. And as we mentioned earlier, it mainly consists of interviews with women, Chilean women.
0: Yeah. It's all women. Um, yeah. All women. It's all women. Dope.
1: And yeah, it interrogates what he calls or at least what the subtitles translate as the social outburst. Mm. Um, It interrogates that through the lens of women's experiences and involvement in it. Yeah, it's quite a remarkable feat of filmmaking, I think, and a very, like, valuable document.
0: It brings it all back to the Battle of Chile in a crazy way, again, because you're watching, like, crazy footage of protests. Mm. Like, Mm. absolutely, I don't want to say breathtaking, but, like... If, if it's shot by Patricia Guzman, that's crazy. Yeah, like, sure. I mean, that's, uh, fully. Because there are like
1: water cannons like yeah. five metres away. He does distinguish between the sort of different contexts of the 70s and the present. The yeah. 70s political um, dissidents being expressed through party allegiance, yeah. the sort of popular unity movement. And um, support for Allende, whereas now dissatisfaction in neoliberal society comes from so many different quarters of society. Yeah. Quarters of society. I mean, Eighths the whole point, eight, exactly.
0: Um, but yeah, if, if it's so like, much more diffuse. And all these people, are like, there isn't a the political party that is backing this. You know, the guy, the, the hero of the film, he's not the hero of the film, but the winner of the film is a party politician at the end of the day, right? These people are like black block. They look like Antifa or whatever, you know. Yeah. They are it's the same problem or whatever. They're protesting for better pensions, abortions, not having a thirty three percent increase in tube fare. Yeah. They're protesting about everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. This <laughs> is the point. Which And they all got masks on as well. It's yeah. not it's not like that. Nah, you
1: know. Well, half of them. Some of them take them off for the camera, which feels sort of Brave? I don't know. It's, well, yeah, it's a course, strange, yeah. like ambiguous situation. The first bro, person the like, first I mean.
0: woman you see interviewed is, you know, she's got the flowers in her like mask with her like ski goggles and stuff like that.
1: But yeah, I mean the interviewees include like a sort of voluntary field medic, yeah. a photographer who's documented a lot of the police violence. I mean that's the thing. There's such like a sort of global, like A cab style Definitely. thrust to it as Definitely. well. And the way Guzman at it with this like awe yeah i think yeah 100% where like the situation is so ambiguous and then as the film or the way he edits the film it slowly discloses these pockets of organization mm. and what or, i think organization is so yes you can protest like violently and like have standoffs with the police but, but there's that, that woman is just a pathway to authoritarianism without some sort of project or projects. Sure. Which like, that is what the film ultimately chronicles towards a new constitution that incorporates like all of these values. Well,
0: guess where they're like, voting for that shit? Yes. <laughs> in the fucking it's, national stadium. Yeah, the biggest concentration camp in Santiago. Like, yeah. um, or the, the same fucking parliament building or whatever. Yeah. The My favorite line in this film is that woman who says like, you know, there's that mom who can't get daycare and she's there like sitting on the hill with her baby and she's as much part of the movement as like the people who are like throwing rocks trying to take down the barricades or whatever yeah know?
1: because it's a ontological quality of living under neoliberalism where yeah 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 um people are like f- will throw up their shackles in the way that they can yeah. basically But yeah, a remarkable sort of code of his career so far, I would say, where so much of it, his literal vocation has been to be like, we We have not reconciled this memory. Or like, in general, society is like, blind to this Mm. stuff. Mm. And then in the 90s, in Chile, also memory, we see um, when people domestically can start seeing this footage and like, um, you know, not having to... You know, censorship slowly slipping away. But, like, obviously, it's still people still don't really give a fuck, and the conservative order is still so strong, and the generation that was complicit in it is still alive. Now. The one thing everyone just has just... to say
0: is, like, I, I saw people I never would have expected to see at these protests, at these protests, or whatever. Yeah.
1: Well um, it, it's, it's so intergenerational now yeah, as well. Like, yeah. And as you said like people are like oh I'm worried about like my parents pensions and stuff like that. And yeah the way that intersects with the films like feminist discourse is um, you know you, you see these crowd scenes of like women shouting this Sing, that like rap or whatever this, like, 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 you, like society um, what did you say the, it's like the state is a the rapist the state is the rapist or yeah, yeah, like yeah. this sort of stuff like using um, like his films are always so dialectical and like bring together something and here it's like the state is the patriarchy and society is female gendered in the right, analogy sure, sure, sure. or whatever like sure. they with like proper social enfranchisement like that will be the driving force because you see like old women in
0: the crowd with like like shouting this stuff and it's like and i guess emma from the film yeah emma would have been there right (laughs) with a flamethrower exactly
1: yeah oh i I do Uh, like it yeah you like (laughs) Emma.
0: my imaginary country like i mean it's it's so hard to watch some of his films sometimes because it's I almost cried on the podcast for the first time. Oh like, yeah,
1: I I cried watching a bunch of these definitely films. Definitely, like, and yeah, it's a film of hope. I think, like, a new hope. A, yeah, <laughs> exactly. My man put a new hope last.
0: <laughs> Should have been the last. Don't <laughs> yeah. call it a comeback. This has been such a good, such a good episode to do, Sam. Like, ah,
1: uh, really a pleasure
0: to immerse to and, watch these films with you. Yeah. Like,
1: we we will include a bibliography and filmography in the episode description of and
0: on our website which i think is http t- colon no. slash <laughs> slash w w dot <laughs> what what i was gonna say i think it's new since our last episode but it's
1: filmgraze.co.uk oh you did um, fill it in yeah. yeah yeah you can yeah
0: yeah go on it we've got um, some bits our essay that we wrote about vampire for the bco screening is on there
1: yeah i think we'll talk about that in our next episode yeah but um, thank you for listening. Thank you, Emmett, for everything.
0: Thank you, Sam, for everything. Thank
1: you for showing me nostalgia
0: for the light. <laughs> thank you, Mark Cuomo, I guess. It's a bit peak, really. Oh, thank you. The thank you, Salvador Allende, Victor Hara, Patricio Goodsman, and most of the subjects interviewed in this film. The other ones are dickheads.